Right, we've, we've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Romans and we're still in the tough going part of it. Uh, to fully appreciate the good news of the gospel, first we have to understand the bad news of the very real trouble that we humans are in without Jesus. Um, and so in this section of Romans, Paul is relentless in telling us all about all of the bad news. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, for the next few weeks, it's going to be like we're going down this long, dark tunnel as we hear all about the bad news. But my, how much brighter the light of the gospel, the good news of Jesus is going to be when we come out on the other side of that tunnel. And today we're continuing that journey down that long, dark tunnel. Two weeks ago, we heard about the downward spiral of godlessness and and unrighteousness that humanity, and that's all of humanity, have been caught up in. And so we heard that the wrath of God is being revealed, and the wrath of God has two aspects to it. Just like a saucepan can be simmering away on the stove, but then the heat gets turned up a little bit and the the saucepan suddenly boils over, well, God's wrath is like that. God's wrath is simmering away right now today. But there is a day which the Bible calls the day of the Lord and in today's reading it was called the day of wrath when God's wrath will suddenly boil over in all of his judgment of the world. And so God's wrath is being revealed right now today. And two weeks ago we talked about why God's wrath is being revealed. Why is God's wrath simmering away now? Well, God's wrath is being revealed because people have turned their backs on God. Uh, They've become godless or they've turned to idolatry. And so the sin that that, that people in our world are guilty of is the rejection of God. And because of godlessness, the wrath of God is being revealed. So that was the message two weeks ago. Last week then we began to investigate, well, what is, the, what is this wrath of God? What does it look like? If the wrath of God is being revealed, what does it look like? And it might have been a bit of a surprise for some of us to discover what the wrath of God actually is. We were told that the wrath of God is that God handed them over. God handed them over to all sorts of unrighteousness. Um, homosexuality was the key example that it gave, um, but it included all sorts of sexual perversions. And then it went on to say that God handed them over. God gave them up to all sorts of evil. Let me read from verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You know, and a lot of us, we might read that great list of sins and, and come to the conclusion, well, well, God is going to pour out his wrath because of this list of sins. But the thing is, the wrath of God is this. God gave them up to all those things. 
God gave them up to a debased mind, a worthless mind. Our society have so rejected God that God handed them over so that they could no longer even tell right from wrong, good from evil, righteousness from unrighteousness. And so unrighteousness increases. And the absolutely lowest of the low is that even if it's not a personal temptation for someone, although they know that God says that it's wrong, they approve of and encourage those who are tempted by the sin. Now, all of that terrible list of sins that are going on in our society are the wrath of God. When we reject God and when we harden our hearts against God, God hardens our hearts even more. And so our society descends even deeper and deeper into unrighteousness. That's the wrath of God. Okay, so the wrath of God, the general simmering of God's wrath is being revealed through the increase of unrighteousness. And now today in Romans chapter 2, we get a little glimpse of when the wrath of God will boil over in judgment. The Lord our God has a date marked on his calendar, the day of the Lord or the day of wrath. I, I sort of wonder if on his calendar he says, my day. Um, it's a day of judgment. Our society are caught in this downward spiral of godlessness and unrighteousness. The simmering of wrath of God is being revealed by the increase of all of the unrighteousness in our world. And the thing is, most of the godless are actually pretty happy about it. They don't mind at all being caught up in all of this unrighteousness. They don't mind at all being caught up in the wrath of God that's being revealed because they're quite at home with it. They've been given up to a debased mind. They have the incapacity to tell right from wrong, good from evil, morality from immorality. And to them, it's just like, hey, it's party time. Unrighteousness gives them a great deal of satisfaction and enjoyment because their mind is unable to even comprehend that what they're doing is wrong. And there may seem to be some minor consequences for their sin, but most of them are willing to live with those. They're on the highway to hell, they've got the pedal to the metal, and that's all right by them, because they feel that they're not accountable to anyone. But here's the bad news that they don't want to hear. There is a day of judgment. And the Lord our God will require a reckoning. Uh, it's quite fashionable these days to um, not even talk about judgment. Nobody wants to talk about judgment. If a church ever preaches judgment, they'll be labelled as, oh, they're one of those sorts of churches that just... You know, fire and brimstone. But you know what? If God's word has it there, we need to present this as part of the message. Because there is a day of judgment and the Lord our God will require a reckoning. Verse 6 says, He will render to each one according to his works. 
There's actually a bit of a fad at the moment in some churches um, to say that we have to repent of our good deeds. Has anyone ever heard that? I hear it quite often. Um, And every time I hear it, I think, how did that lie of the devil ever get incorporated into the gospel message? The Lord loves it when we do good and he hates it when we do bad. It's as simple as that. Verse 7 says, To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. And again in verse 10 he says that there will be glory sorry, glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good. Right? If we continue on doing good, God loves that when we do good. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you have to repent of doing good deeds. That is a load of rubbish. I sometimes think of Cornelius. Uh, he was a, a uh, what was known as a God-fearer. Uh, he was a Greek man who saw truth in the Jewish God and he did righteousness. He, he prayed, he was generous to the poor, he gave alms. And an angel came to Cornelius and he said, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms, that is your generosity to the poor, have ascended as a memorial before God. Right? God was really pleased with Cornelius for being such a good man and for doing good things. It was like the law of God was written on Cornelius's heart. Even though he wasn't one of God's chosen people, he wasn't a Jew. He was doing what the law required, and the Lord was very happy with that. But never think that because you've done some good things which God loves, then you're so good that you don't need to repent of the bad things that God hates. You see, verse 8 says, But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And again in verse 9 it says, There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. There are very few people who are so completely evil that they never do any good. But none of us are so completely good that we never do any evil. Let me say that again. There are very few people who are so completely evil that they never do any good. But none of us are so completely good that we never do any evil. Jesus is the only one who is ever that good. Jesus is the only one who is perfect and good and completely righteous. Most of us do some good and all of us do at least some evil. And the thing is, our good deeds can never pay the cost of our bad deeds. Who was the class member who, who thought they'd done a few good deeds? That was you, Lauren. Yep, yeah, sorry. Our good deeds can never pay the cost of our bad deeds, which is why... When God sent that angel to Cornelius, that godly man, he was preparing him, a good man, for the gospel. 
Because you're a good man, Cornelius, but you're not good enough. And so God sent Peter to Cornelius to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that all of those who believe in Jesus will receive forgiveness in his name. And the Holy Spirit was doing a work in Cornelius and he received Christ and he is baptized into the name of Jesus. And so today's reading is telling us that none of us have an excuse. None of us are good enough. We all need Jesus. Do you remember the story that Jesus told the man who was trying to get the speck out of somebody else's eye? Yeah? Well, the whole time he had a great big log sticking out of his own eye. It's a ridiculous picture. It's a ridiculous story. But it's so easy to be like that fellow, isn't it? It's so easy to see everybody else's faults and to see everybody else's sins, to see everybody else's unrighteousness, but not to recognize it in ourselves. We come up with all sorts of excuses to try and justify ourselves. But just like that class who all tried to justify themselves in the kid's story, we can't. Before God, we cannot justify ourselves. We have no excuse. If we're able to recognize sin and unrighteousness in somebody else, then there's no excuse for not recognizing it in ourselves. And that's how chapter 2 began today. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, Practice the very same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. It is right for the judgment of God to fall on those who practice unrighteousness. Therefore, it is right for God to judge our unrighteousness. Do you see the dilemma? We look at that great big list of sins that we had up there earlier and we know that those who do those sorts of things are going to be judged by God. We know that it's right for them to be judged by God. But we also know that we've done and we do some of these things ourselves. We've actually done them. Maybe we've cherished the thought about doing them in our hearts. Maybe we've thought it was okay when others did them. Do we think that we will escape the judgment of God? You know, many people think they will. The godless, well, they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They reckon that God has left the building And he doesn't care, he doesn't exist, and so they reckon that they'll escape the judgment of God simply because he doesn't exist. Um, Got a picture of, in London there was a group of atheists who were so committed to their cause that they forked money out of their bank account um, to put these ads up on a bus. There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Won't they get a surprise? The self-righteous, well, they're confident that they've lived a good life. They reckon that their good deeds will outweigh their bad deeds and so they reckon that they'll escape the judgment of God. 
And then there's the religious. There's all sorts of categories of religious. Some feel that because they've gone to church, they'll escape the judgment of God or, or because they are baptised at some stage in their life, then they'll escape the judgment of God. Or for the Jew, because they have the law and are God's chosen people, they believe that they'll escape the judgment of God. Some believe that because Jesus died on the cross, that they will escape the judgment of God. Some believe that because they've said a sinner's prayer, At some stage of their life, they'll escape the judgment of God. Some of the religious reckon they know a little bit about God. They know that God is loving and kind, and so they choose to believe that a loving God will never judge them. And so they're convinced that they will escape the judgment of God. But you know what? There is only one way to escape the judgment of God. And that is to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? I read that and I think about the times in my life when I've been tempted with a sin and I've known that it was wrong, but I've really wanted to do that. And sometimes I've justified it in my head and gone, yeah, the Lord, he's loving and forgiving. He'll forgive me for that. I'll just ask him for forgiveness afterwards. And I've knowingly done that. And I read this and go, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. And yes, I have. And maybe some of you may at times. The Lord is patient. Some of us may feel that he should step in and judge the world right now. Some of us may wonder why he didn't do it years ago or decades ago or centuries ago. I'll tell you why. In his mercy, in God's patience and kindness, he's been putting up with us. He's been putting up with the rejection of men towards him. Uh, He's been putting up with our unrighteousness. He has made himself known through creation. He has made himself known through his son. He's revealing his simmering wrath to the world so that we might sit up and take notice of him. And some take this kindness for granted. Some hear of the grace and the mercy of God and they come to the conclusion, well, I don't need to repent. But all of this, God's kindness, God holding off his day of wrath, is for a reason. It's so we will repent. What is repentance? We've talked about this often enough. In the classical Greek, it means to change your mind. But in the Bible, it means a change of the whole man or the whole woman. It means to turn from sin to righteousness. It means to turn from godlessness to worshipping Yahweh, our God. It means to turn from self-righteousness to depending on the righteousness of God. 
It means a change of mind and a change of actions. Repentance is both a gift that God gives us and a command that we must obey. It means to stop living for ourselves and to start living for Jesus. In fact, it means to be ready to die for Jesus. It means to change our path from the wide, easy road that leads to destruction and to walk the narrow, difficult path of being a disciple of Jesus. It means so much more than just believing. It is to so believe that everything that you do in your life is submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what repentance is. God's kindness, his forbearance, is intended to lead us to repentance. That's the only way to escape the judgment of God. So what happens if one does not repent? Well, it's pretty scary. Verse 5 says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, that means a heart that won't repent, You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. When someone's heart is hardened against God, when they refuse to repent of sin and all of their unrighteous deeds, God's simmering wrath is being stored up for them. You know how sometimes you have a saucepan on a stove Saucepan of milk, they're the worst. Saucepan of milk sitting on the stove and it's simmering away. But then you put a lid on it. And that forces it to build the heat up. And the heat builds up and it boils over. Well, if we harden our hearts against God and refuse to repent, it's like putting the lid on the saucepan. God's wrath, which is simmering away, gets stored up. And on the day of wrath, it will boil over. On the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Well, once again, I've given a few little glimpses of what the light's going to be like at the end of the tunnel. Paul has told us... um, the way to get out of the tunnel, right? If we got this dark tunnel of all of the bad news of where humanity are destined without Jesus. Well, today Paul's given us a little hint of how you get out of that tunnel. Repentance. But we've still got another message to come yet in the dark tunnel of bad news and that'll be in a couple of weeks' time. Um, now I said right at the very first message as we sort of got into this section of Romans about all of the bad news, we preachers, we, we like to preach the good news. So it's really tempting to just skip over all of this bad stuff and get to the good news as quick as we can. Uh, but if this is in the scriptures, God wants us to know it. And it'll help us to appreciate the good news all the more. But I can't leave here without you knowing the good news. I know most of you already do. Um, The good news is, yes, the day of wrath is coming. 
but we escape that through repenting and believing in the Lord Jesus. And for those of us who have been Christians for a while, is hearing about this bad news um, helping you to appreciate more the wonderful gift of salvation, to appreciate more that, that Jesus, he bore the wrath of God in his body so that we can be set free from it. I, I hope that's what's growing in you. I really do. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, the thing which can be very, very scary to us, the day of wrath, the day of judgment, is not scary to us. It's actually a glorious day. How could righteousness ever not be glorious? And we know, Lord, that on on the day of wrath, that you will judge in righteousness. And even in that reading there today, it tells us that on that day, the secrets of our hearts will be laid bare to the judge who is Jesus. And Lord, it is wonderful to know that the one who will be judging the nations is the one who has already taken the punishment for us. And so Lord, we thank you for the good news. We thank you that Jesus died for us. We thank you that he bore the wrath of God in his own body on the cross. And we thank you that he lives today. And Lord, we thank you that when we repent and when we believe in you and trust in you, that you take us out of that downward spiral of unrighteousness and ungodliness And you draw us into your very presence and you give us new life, eternal life. What a blessing that is, Lord. Thank you. Amen.